Welcome back to Sports Cube. I'm your host, Daniel Shalom, bringing you the latest in the sports world, and we have a lot to get into today. First off, we have an interview with SB Nation, current worker at SB Nation, and also ESPN radio host Jake Asman. He joins us on the show to break down his career and also talk about the current events happening in our sports world. Along with that, I bring you my current views on the MLB and how I think they will return after the MLBPA just said that they are denying the 60-game proposal from the MLB. All this and much more coming right up. Stay with us. Things just seem to be getting worse in the MLB now. As today, the MLB Players Association denied the MLB's request for a 60-game season with extended playoffs. This move comes after... Now, Rob Manfred will be put in the position to implement a schedule of his choosing, likely between 50 and 60 games. The vote today was 33 to 5 against, uh, sources saying the MLB uh, PA is made up of 30 player representatives, one from each team, of course, and an eight-member subcommittee. Now, things just don't seem to be recovering for MLB now that the players and the top officials in MLB can't even agree on a season where now their commissioner will have to lay down the laws himself and basically put a season out there without any input from anybody else, which I feel like is fascinating. We saw they have not seen this across any of the other pro four sports in hockey. They got it done quickly. They're back on the ice now in training NBA. You have your thing down in Orlando and Disney and the NFL are working to make sure that their season is ready to go in the fall. Whereas the MLB has just been throwing dirty laundry back at each other. And now this seems like the situation is going to be getting any worse ever, ever the more worse. And of course, I think that there will be no MLB season at this point. I really hope there is because I love the game so much, but all this bitter batter between the players and the MLB does not seem to be getting anywhere, and it does not seem to be making any progress whatsoever, which I think will lead to no season, which will be very sad and very devastating for a lot of MLB clubs. Anyways, our interview with Jake Asman, SB Nation radio host, and also a feature analyst on ESPN coming up right now. Before this, let me tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now we have a very special guest join us on the sports cube podcast he's worked at espn was in rio de janeiro for the 2016 olympics and has also worked countless times on long island and is now in houston working for sb nation jake asman welcome to the show daniel appreciate you having me on and uh, i hope you and your family are staying safe back on long island where i grew up so uh, it's always great to be on with a fellow long islander yeah you too uh, i hope your family's doing well as well and uh, Jake, before we get into anything, how's your quarantine been and uh, what's it been like for you working from home? It's been odd. You know, I, quarantine, unfortunately for me, I was on furlough from doing the daily radio show with SB Nation Radio um, from the end of March up until about mid-May. So, 
you know, I just spent a lot of time home. I wasn't even on the air. You know, I was kind of just waiting, hopefully, for an opportunity to come back. And, you know, when I got word that I was going to be able you know, to be brought back and, and moved to a, a morning time slot on uh, on the, the radio network, I was I was really excited. But, you know, we're now back in the studio. I do a daily show from, you know, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. So I've been busy every day, you know, waking up early doing the show and then, you know, kind of preparing for the next day's show. But quarantine... You know, I mean, it's been boring at times. I've watched a lot of movies. I've tried to, like, pick up new hobbies like cooking. You know, I, I did a little basic cooking and learned how to do, you know, some simple things. I just never bothered to learn at this point in my life. So I've been trying to be productive, trying to stay busy. Um, but, you know, I'm just grateful, you know, for the opportunity to, you know, be working right now. And, and here in Houston, you know, the state has been reopening now for really over a month. And even though there's been a slight spike in some cases, for the most part, things are still, you know, getting back to a sense of normalcy with restaurants being open and bars are now open and, and businesses have people in it again. So, um, no, it was definitely, you know, a very long and boring process at times, but I'm, I'm very excited that I get a chance to go to work every morning and, you know, get to do radio every day. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, of course, you're from Long Island. You moved down to Houston a, a couple years ago. What was that transition like from you going from New York all the way down to Texas, two totally different environments? Yeah, no doubt. It's certainly different, right? I was working a part-time gig at uh, WFAN and CBS Sports Radio in Manhattan, and you know, I was commuting in from Long Island. And to go from that to, well, now you know, you're living in a totally different state. You're living in the South. You're living in Houston, Texas. It was definitely way different. Um, I moved in July of 2018, so I moved right in the dead heat of a Texas summer, and it was just brutal how... Uh, how hot it was and you know you think you're ready for it and then you get down here and you're like wow it's 95 degrees at nine o'clock at night it's just absurd so getting used to the temperature in the summer was a big adjustment but I will say it was awesome to be here now coming up on two years and you know I get to wear shorts year round and I never have to worry about snow so it definitely has its benefits and I've really enjoyed the city people are very nice here great restaurants you know plenty of things to do so it's been a it's been a great time in the almost two years I lived here in Houston. And speaking of the city, of course, New York is not so fond of Houston because of the Astros. Um, I'm not sure if you are a Yankees or a Mets fan, but uh, what was your reaction this offseason when you heard of the Astros cheating scandal and how they basically cheated to win in 17? Yeah, I mean, depending on who you ask here in Houston, people will either defend the Astros and say, oh, well, everyone's doing it. And, oh, the, this Yankee letter proves they were doing it too, which is a bunch of nonsense personally. But you know, it depends how you look at it. Obviously, as a Yankee fan, I am one. I, I don't like the Astros. But, yeah, I mean, it kind of it is what it is. I thought Manford dropped the ball with the punishment. I don't want to hear that this is a player-driven scheme and then you don't try and at least make an attempt at suspending the players. I know he probably couldn't because of the players' union and they gave the immunity clause – with the idea of not being able to suspend the players. But, you know, take away the championship then. I, I thought the whole, you know, World Series championship they won is totally devalued. Now, no one looks at it cleanly outside of Houston. You know, these, this is an Astros team that ran a scandal from, you know, the beginning of May through the end, and they admitted they used it in the playoffs, and the report said they used it in the playoffs. So I, I just thought it was one or the other, right? You you go after the players or at least try or, or try and vacate the championship and just don't have a champion for 2017, and that would have really hurt the Astros because they've only won one World Series in their franchise's history, and it was that title. So I, I think ultimately they got off easy, and now you know with baseball looking like it's coming back, there's going to be no fans in the stands. So it's not even like they're going to really have to deal with a hostile road environment when they play this year either. So you know, they really have lucked out through this whole thing. It's unbelievable how that's unfolded. Yeah, you're so right, especially with no fans. I knew a lot of people here in New York were definitely looking forward to that. 
Yankees-Houston series in late September, which, of course, will now be played with no fans. But, uh, Jake, do you think that this Yankees team has a chance now to gain the World Series, saying that they acquired Garrett Cole in the offseason? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think they're the favorites going into the year, and I'm going to be curious to see how it works out with a shortened season because of the fact you know, pitchers aren't going to be stretched out. They're not going to give you 30 starts, so they're going to be very careful. But I think that might actually, as long as the Yankees stay healthy, and that's a big issue for them because we know what happened you know, last season. But if they stay healthy, I really think because of how deep they are lineup-wise and how deep their back end of the bullpen is, I mean, they got so many guys they could, they could throw at you. I think they're at a distinct advantage when the season does return. Now, you know, there's no home field advantage and injuries could happen in a short season, especially if it's only like 50 games. But I, I think, you know, going into the year, the Yankees were rightfully the favorites to come out of the American League. When you add a guy like Garrett Cole and take him away from the team that we, you were directly competing with to come out of the American League in the Houston Astros, you know, I think that clearly gives you a, a leg up. Plus, the Astros are, are an older team. You know, Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke are now a year older. How do they respond? you know, to what's about to happen with this season. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks for every MLB team, but I do think if the Yankees stay healthy, I mean, there's no reason not to pick them to get to the World Series. They're that talented. They've been knocking on the door now for you know, the last three seasons. It's time for them to break through and, and try and win their first championship since 2009. I couldn't agree with you more. And now I want to go a little bit in depth on your career. Of course, you were a graduate of Ithaca College, what resources did uh, Ithaca give you that you don't think you would find uh, elsewhere? Uh, Ithaca was great for me. I, you know, it was it was it was so nice to you know to to go there for four years and have the opportunities that you know I was able you know to to take part in during my four years. Uh, what was great about Ithaca was as a freshman, I was able to get on the air right away. You know, I remember vividly. You know, my second week on campus, I already had a sportscast on one of the two. Um, you know, campus radio stations. They had a TV station that I was involved with right away. So just the opportunity to, you know, know what I want to do going into college. I, I knew I wanted to be, you know, a sports broadcaster. And just to have the opportunity right away to get involved as a freshman, you know, that was huge in my development as a broadcaster. And I made a lot of friends through Ithaca. You know, some of my closest friends today are people I went to college with and, you know, did radio and, and TV stuff with, right? Called Ithaca football games and basketball games. and did talk shows. So, you know, just... The, the overall experience I got there during the four years is something that, you know, I'm always going to, you know, reflect on and, and, and think about in, you know, just a great way. I, and I, I certainly miss, uh, you know, being up there, uh, I, you know, in the summers and in the falls. I don't miss the winters, though. That'd be the one thing, Daniel. It is freezing in Ithaca, New York. But other than the, uh, the weather there, uh, it's a great college, great campus, you know, great college town. And it was an amazing experience that definitely helped me. Uh, you know, get better as, you know, a broadcaster and, and, and get better as a person as well. And then speaking of that, uh, out of college, you kind of bounced around a little bit. You were at WABC uh, Channel 7 in New York for a little bit, but then you ba bounced onto the coast uh, in Los Angeles and then came back to Ithaca actually to work for ESPN. What was it like transitioning back and forth from the West Coast to the East Coast? So I'll actually correct you on one thing. So those were internships I did while I was in college. So WABC I did in the summer of 2015. I was an intern um, you know, under their sports director and producers there at Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Uh, Fox Sports Radio I did as a junior. I was an intern when I, I spent a semester in Los Angeles through Ithaca College. Instead of studying abroad, I studied West and you know took some classes in L.A. and also had an internship. And ESPN Ithaca I did, it was technically an 
internship, but they put me on the air as an update anchor and reporter and did some play-by-play. So I wasn't being paid, but I was contributing to the station. I did that during my last year at college. So all those things you listed were actually things that I was able to do while still in college, which was also you know a great benef- uh, benefit of you know going to Ithaca and being able to uh, you know apply for some of these opportunities and, and get that real-world experience while still being a student. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, but I think that one of the most exciting things that I saw when looking at your uh, resume was that you worked on the Olympics in uh, Rio de Janeiro, of course, with Bob Costas, Liam McHugh, Mike uh, Tricchio. What was that like for you to go to Rio de Janeiro and be surrounded by such uh, talented broadcasters in the industry? It was career changing for me. I, I was one of just you know three students from Ithaca College that actually got to go to Rio for the Olympics, and it was just an unbelievable opportunity. You know, I, I was what was called a runner, right? So I was basically just doing busy work, and oh, someone needed coffee, or we needed to print a script for something, whatever they needed, I would contribute to. But the hands-on experience I got, getting a chance to work with some of those broadcasters you just made, you just mentioned there, Daniel. I mean, that was huge. I mean, just getting a chance to pick their brain and see how they work and see how they prep and prepare and getting to know them a little bit. You know, Liam McHugh, I consider a mentor of mine, and you know, he's been nothing but great to me. You know, since I graduated from school and since I completed that internship. But even when I was there, he, you know, he really took me under his wing and, you know, he knew I wanted to be an on-air guy and really sat me down and, you know, gave me some feedback and advice and such a great guy. And, you know, Bob Costas is a legend. You know him, you've talked about him. You know, he's just the gold standard in our industry. So to see him work, to see him up close, to know him a little bit, and then get to interview him, you know, on my college radio show, you know, a few months after the Olympics ended was uh, just an incredible opportunity. And, you know, from Mike Tirico to Dan Patrick to, you know, just all the broadcasters that were there, it was such a thrill to be in that environment and just see, you know, the army of people it takes to put on the Olympic Games on NBC every four years. Yeah, and then for you, of course, you were actually there around all the sports. What was the coolest experience or actually game that you saw while you were in Rio? Uh, it's got to be Michael Phelps. I mean, to see him swim, to see him in his last Olympics and win a gold medal in one of the events I was at, that was a huge thrill. I saw Team USA basketball play, which was incredible to watch up close. Um, I watched Rafael Nadal play a tennis match in one of the Olympic matches there. So just you know, to get that experience, to see you know some of the world's greatest athletes, really in the history of sports in some cases, and with some of those guys I just mentioned, you know, that was a lot of fun. So you know, I didn't get to go to a whole lot of events because we were working at the International Broadcast Center mostly. But the few times I did get to venture out and even just see the city of Rio and how, how beautiful it was and, you know, get to interact with the people there. And I made so many friends that were locals that NBC hired to help with translating and just help with different things where you would need someone that speaks, you know, Portuguese, their native language to help with the, uh, you know, to help with the whole process there. Um, it was huge. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that opportunity. Yeah. And then speaking of that, of the NBC and the Olympics, Moving to Pyeongchang now, of course, you weren't actually in Pyeongchang. What was it like knowing that you were at the Rio Games? What was the difference now Now that you're just, you were in Stanford being the production associate uh, there? What was the difference like? Yeah, the difference was basically, well, you know, I don't have to, you know, wake up and work like a 12-hour shift in a foreign country, right? I was working at the, the broadcast center in Stanford, and it was a, a similar type of role. I had the opportunity to come back and contribute for three weeks. I, I got to be honest, the pay was very good. They put me up in a hotel, so um, it made sense at the time, given that I was just, you know, about six months out of college looking for work, looking for an opportunity to build relationships with people. So it was a really cool experience, and there are a lot of talent that, that worked 
you know, in Stanford that actually didn't travel to Pyeongchang in South Korea for the game. So, you know, got to meet more people, got to build some relationships. And I, I will say, if you ever get a chance to eat at the NBC commissary in Stanford, they have some delicious food there. So that was a lot of fun as well. I'll make sure to try and check it out. But I want to now focus a little bit on your roots because, of course, you're from Long Island and you worked on Long Island for a while as well with Sports on the Go Radio and also Ultimate Hoops New York. What was it like to be working from your hometown? It was awesome. So Ultimate Hoops, for those who don't know, um, is it, it takes place at Lifetime Fitness gyms throughout the country. So I'm from Syosset, and there's a Lifetime Fitness that opened up when I was in high school in 2012. So I just wanted to work for the gym. And when I found out they had this basketball league called Ultimate Hoops that, you know, basically was a rec basketball league, but they would keep player stats and they would do post-game interviews for their Facebook page. And uh, it just it was an opportunity to really, as a high schooler, to get broadcast reps, similar to what you're doing now, you know, with your podcast here, Daniel. So that was an awesome opportunity. We did post-game shows. We did podcasts, breaking down the league. And we're breaking down rec league basketball players. But you know, there were some really good players that played in this league. So a lot of D1, D2, D2 three guys, a couple guys that played professional overseas. So it was uh, a really cool experience working for Ultimate Hoops. I would always do it during summers, coming home from college on top of whatever internship I was doing uh, that particular summer. So it was a tremendous experience. And then Sports on the Go 1, you know, I worked there for about a year. When I first graduated from Ithaca, you know, I was applying all over the country for radio opportunities and just there just wasn't a whole lot out there. I'd, I'd keep getting feedback saying, hey, stay in touch. We like you. You know, we just don't have anything. But, you know, this opportunity came about um, to work for a station on the east end of Long Island in Ronkonkoma to do a morning show for them two hours a day. And, you know, I wasn't making any money, but, you know, I was bringing in a couple of uh, pennies and sales for them. And they let me, you know, go on the air for two hours a day and just get reps and, and build out a demo tape that I could keep fresh and get better and send it out to, you know, program directors. And it was because of, you know, my work at Sports on the Go One that I ultimately had an opportunity, you know, to get hired by my now boss here in Houston at SB Nation Radio and, and ESPN 97.5. So, you know, the, the opportunity at Sports on the Go One was great because I was able to work that morning show and still work part time at WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. So the two kind of played off each other well. Long hours at both, a lot of time and effort, but it's all worth it in the end because, you know, when you work in sports radio, sports media, if you're, you know, lucky enough to have a job like I do in this field, then you're not really doing it for the money. You're doing it for the love. And it was an incredible experience. It's all for the love and the passion of journalism. But you also did work as an associate producer. What was it like? I know you're an on-air guy, but what was it like being behind the board and managing someone else's show? It was awesome. I, I mean, I grew up a religious listener to WFAN and ESPN New York. So you know, to actually be running the board for Evan Roberts, who I've grown up listening to and, you know, being such a huge fan of his because he also has red hair like I do. So my friends would always kid that, you know, you're the next Evan Roberts and they would call me Evan Roberts as a joke. You know, to run his show on a Saturday was incredible. To work with a guy like John Jastrzemski, who's such a phenomenal talent in our industry and, you know, work with him on the overnights and Tony Page before he retired and Steve Summers and just, you know, guys that I listened to that I grew up idolizing. They're the reason why I'm in the business today is because, you know, I grew up coming home from school every day listening to Mike and the Mad Dog and the Michael K show. So to actually work in that building um, for about seven, eight months, you know, after college was such a huge thrill. And I, and I got a chance to meet with, um, you know, so many different people in that building that I stay in touch with today. And, you know, if I ever get an opportunity to get back to New York, you know, those are going to be some people that are going to be friends for a long time. So I'm just very thankful you know, for that experience and that opportunity. For sure. And now transitioning towards more of today's sports, what were your thoughts on the NHL and NBA's 22-team playoffs? What did you think of that when it was first announced? 
I, I thought for the NHL it made sense because you had so many teams bunched up together where that would be the only sensible way to try and go forward with the season. For the NBA, we didn't need 22 teams, right? 22 teams just seems like way too many teams, but then you look at why they did it, and it's so obvious. The reason why there's 22 teams is so they could try and find a way to get Zion Williamson to play some meaningful games, maybe sneak them into the playoffs in a play-in tournament, right? So I, the NBA, nobody needs to see the Washington Wizards or you know, the Sacramento Kings or the Phoenix Suns come back but we're going to be stuck with it. They want Zion to come back, and that's why they did it. That's why I believe anyway. So I didn't need that many teams. You know, you could have just took, to me, the top 16 teams, regardless of conference, and then just played the playoffs, maybe do a few quote-unquote regular season games before you get into playoff mode. I would have been fine with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we'll see what the NBA does here. I do think they're going to play, and, you know, they'll be at that bubble campus in Orlando at Disney World, so we'll see how it works out. I'm going to be, you know, pumped up to watch and have that to talk about. And you know, from the hockey standpoint, I, I give a lot of credit to you know Gary Bettman and the NHL Players Association for hammering out a deal, doing whatever it takes to get this done. And the Stanley Cup playoffs are as good as any league's playoffs that we have in sports. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. And as a big Islander fan, I'm just excited that you know the Islanders are in the playoffs and have a legitimate chance to uh, try and win a Stanley Cup. I mean, I agree with you, but I'm more of a Rangers guy, so I think that this could be the Rangers' opportunity to get Hank the Cup finally after that devastating loss in 2014. But um, the MLB is not as swift with getting their plan done. It, it was just announced that they are close to a deal, yet teams are saying that they need more pay cuts to afford to play in empty ballparks, but players say that they will not accept additional salary reductions. When do you think that baseball will not always be just about the money? When do you think the culture of the game will actually be back? You know, it's a great question. I just think if you look at the history of baseball, though, this is not something that's just brand new, right? I mean, these guys, these two sides have always fought over money. So it's not, you know, this is not a new thing that's unfolding here. But, you know, what's so frustrating is they're, they're airing out the dirty laundry. They're doing this back and forth publicly when there's, you know, 40 million Americans that aren't working right now that are unemployed. There's, you know, 110,000 plus people that have unfortunately died from the coronavirus. It's just the worst possible time to be arguing about millions of dollars between millionaires and billionaires. So that's my biggest issue with the whole thing. Listen, I get it. It's a business. The players feel they have a right to be paid their full pro rate. Owners realize, hey, we don't have fans. We're going to take a bloodbath in revenue. And there's that back and forth. That happens. These two sides always argue. That's how, you know, labor wars happen, specifically in professional sports but my biggest issue has been well they're airing it out publicly and they don't need to do it no one cares ultimately who's right who's wrong if you and I as baseball fans don't have anything to watch all summer or the game goes away for a year and a half so just the way it's been handled on really both sides has been very frustrating as a real fan of you know not just the Yankees but the game as a whole and speaking of the game how do you think this affects minor leagues minor league prospects chances of actually getting to the MLB let's say a prospect that was possibly looking to break in this year now on a whole hiatus. And it also could technically wrap, uh, rip, rip apart the entire, the entire minor league system. How do you think the minor leagues are going to be affected by this? Yeah, Daniel, I think that's a great point, and not a lot of people are really talking about the minor leaguers. I feel really bad for them. I mean, there's some owners that didn't even want to pay them a measly 400 bucks a week. You know, the A's owner had to be peer pressured into doing the bare minimum, and the Nationals owner had to do the same thing. It's a joke. So I feel for the minor leaguers. I think there's no doubt that – you know, a lot of these minor league cities, a lot of these minor league teams, you know, they may ne- they may never recover from not having you know baseball this year. There might be a lot of minor league teams that that fold up. I think you will see a lot of players that maybe go to independent ball for the year this year, assuming those leagues are operating. I think some are, so that could be a way for some of these minor league guys to get some experience, get some reps, so they don't lose out on a full year of development. 
but it's tough for these minor league players. You know, there's really not much that, that, you know, can be done for them. And I feel bad because, you know, a lot of these guys maybe, you know, don't end up getting the chance to then pursue their dream of being a major league baseball player, or, you know, maybe, you know, they would have had that big breakout season in the minor leagues, but instead they don't get that opportunity. And then, you know, maybe their, their career kind of fades off. So it's a very difficult situation. I, and I feel really bad for all the minor leaguers. It's yeah, it is really, really delicate situation. And uh, last thing for you here, Jake, what do you think is the coolest thing or the coolest person that you've interviewed in your career so far? Man, this is a tough one. I've been very lucky in my life to have interviewed a lot of, you know, notable athletes or even just notable, just like celebrities. Like, you know, there was a a radio show I did in Miami at Radio Row a couple of months back where we had, you know, MC Hammer and then we had Martha Stewart, like within the same hour of each other. I've interviewed, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm a huge Jet fan, so I got to sit down with Jamal Adams last year. And, you know, I live in Houston, so I've interviewed, you know, J.J. Watt, and I've interviewed Deshaun Watson. So I've been lucky and really, uh, you know, blessed, blessed in my life um, with some of the opportunities I've had to interview people, but it's tough to pick one. I think every guest kind of has its own story. You know, I, I think, you know, what I've always tried to do is just be prepared for every interview and, and kind of see where the conversation goes, but it'd be too tough to pick just one. Uh, favorite celebrity interview though I could give you, I would say that was probably the Backstreet Boys. I got to interview three of them last year on my radio show when they were promoting their Super Bowl commercial with Chance the Rapper. So, you know, being a 90s kid growing up, getting a chance to interview those guys was a lot of fun. So I, I would go back for celebrity interviews, actual sports person. That's tough because, as I mentioned, Daniel, there's so many. Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many great celebrities. I, I actually saw you had Johnny Damon on your show today. Um, of course, a cross between a Yankees and a Red Sox man. But, Jake, what would you give for advice for any up-and-coming broadcasters like myself that are hoping to do what, are, what you're doing uh, currently? I would say you're on the right path, Daniel. The fact that you have a podcast and you're still in high school and you're you're getting valuable broadcast repetitions, I I think that's huge. I always tell people it doesn't matter if two people hear your podcast or 70,000. It doesn't matter at at your young age. It's all about getting better. It's all about getting repetitions, getting reps, putting the time in, preparing as if there's millions of people hearing it, preparing as if. You know, this is going to be your big break. You want to treat every broadcast like it's very important and you want to be well prepared. So getting reps, you know, taking it seriously and just having fun ultimately is is what I would say. And I would also encourage every broadcaster that, that wants to be on the air to also learn you know, how the business works and how the behind the scenes people interact with the business, how, you know, what the role of a radio producer is, what the role of a TV producer is, you know, how do you go about writing scripts for TV? How does it differ than writing updates for radio? Just kind of getting a sense of all the different nuances that are in sports media in general. I think that's huge. So ultimately you're on the right path because you're doing this and, you know, just have fun and and continue to get, you know, broadcasting reps and it's definitely going to pay off for you. For sure. And uh, Jake, I appreciate you uh, on the show. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Of course. More Sports Cube coming right up. And I want to touch on one thing out of NASCAR before we wrap up today's show. A Nas was found in Bubba Wallace's NASCAR Bay. Of course, he's a NASCAR driver. He drives for NASCAR. And there's a Nas in his stall. But while that might have been bad, the reaction to it across NASCAR was immense. They were empathetic with him, and they supported him. And the entire Talladega, which is where the race was taking place, showed support for Wallace, even pulling pushing his car out to the starting point. 
and he got very emotional. He's wearing an American flag mask and he just felt so grateful and just so empathetic for everyone around him. So that was good to hear a positive response to the negative actions of some people who the actually the FBI are trying to track down right now. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed today's show. You know, there's a lot going on in this world. We tried to deliver you the best content. We thank Jake for being here. He's a really great guy, and I'm glad we got to talk to him. And, of course, until Thursday, peace out.